welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. It's not usually in the headlines when an associate attorney general resigns, but these days when the supervision of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation is the subject of congressional hearings, the importance of the departure of the third highest official in the Justice Department is clear. Rachel Brand is stepping down after less than nine months in the job. She'll be joining Walmart as executive vice president of global governance. Joining me is Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Sade. Brad, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is the only government official with the legal authority to directly fire Mueller. Next in line after him was Rachel Brand, which is why so many of us have come to know her by name. Who is next in line after Rachel Brand? Absolutely. So the next person is right now uh, the Solicitor General, um, and that's only because the line of secession technically would go to the U.S. attorney for the District of North Carolina, but that individual has not been confirmed by the Senate yet. So due to that technicality, the Solicitor General is currently next on line if Mr. Rosenstein were fired or dismissed for any reason. Now, um, if the president wanted to put someone in that position permanently, would there have to be confirmation by the Senate? For the spot that Ms. Brand left, yes, right. that would require... So that would require Senate confirmation, and it goes without saying, just as we dealt with in Watergate and just as we dealt with when Mr. Rosenstein and others were put in their current positions, that senators would absolutely ask about the context of the special counsel investigation and the extent to which these individuals would be willing to uh, counter an illegal order or an, un- or an unethical order to fire the special counsel. Democrats like Congressman Adam Schiff have been reading signals from the White House in recent weeks that Rosenstein is on the line. He may be fired, ostensibly because of his part in signing off on the reauthorization of the surveillance of Carter Page, as outlined in that Republican memo. Does the president need a reason to fire Rosenstein? Technically speaking, no. He's a political appointee. The president can fire uh, Mr. Rosenstein just like any other political appointee at any time he wants without cause. They serve at the pleasure of the president. But there would be an obvious political ramification and backlash if he were to take such an action, especially if he did it in the context of subsequently trying to fire the special counsel. It would, without question, have political ramifications, which I don't think the president quite wants to deal with, especially leading up to the midterms. Let's try to put ourselves in uh, Rachel Brand's position. She's only been there nine months. Excuse me. NBC is reporting that she quit partially over fear that she might be asked to oversee the Russia probe. That's according to multiple sources uh, close to her. That's NBC News just coming out with that about an hour ago. Does that seem more likely than that she's leaving for a great job? Yeah, I I don't think anybody really believes with all sincerity that she simply left because it was a job that she couldn't pass up. There were obviously other factors, other considerations. She clearly was not comfortable with how the department was being run, the lack of proper staffing. Uh, The administration's had problems getting enough people nominated, let alone appointed and confirmed. Uh, But also, yeah, I mean, she had to be worried that if Rosenstein were fired, that she'd be placed in the position of having to oversee and possibly be ordered to dismiss 
Mr. Mullen. I don't think that's really a position she wanted to find herself in. She's a lifelong uh government lawyer. I don't think she really viewed herself as being that kind of player, and she didn't really want to tie her reputation to that. She was a rising star in the conservative legal world. She's worked for both Republican presidents and Democratic presidents, and it seems as if she was working her way up, and now she's sort of gone off into the private sector, perhaps ahead of time. Yeah, I, I, I certainly expect to see. I mean, she's still young. I certainly expect to see her back in government service in the future. Uh, I think she'll make some money right now for a little while with Walmart and anyone else in the private sector. But come another administration, whether it be Republican or Democrat, but probably Republican, I could see her being appointed to a position such as Deputy Attorney General. She'll be back. <laughs> Brad, um Let's talk a little bit about the 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 pressures that the Justice Department officials are under. For example, Rod Rosenstein, everywhere he goes in in Congress or wherever, there are cameras following him continually. Um, and the pressure of the other people in the in the Justice Department with this hanging over their head, this this Mueller investigation. Yeah, the Justice Department, to an extent, is used to that kind of scrutiny. Uh, they are often under the microscope with a lot of the uh, investigations and prosecutions they would bring. What's different here is the extent to one, it obviously implicates possibly the president or senior advisors, but also the extent to which the president so routinely and so in such an inflammatory manner will discuss it and talk about it. They are effectively doing their job and trying to run a proper investigation while having their boss publicly criticize them for what they're doing in and of itself. And that can't be easy, whether you're a civil servant or a political appointee. That certainly is not a comfortable work environment in which to operate while you're trying to simply do your job as you understand it and as you've been tasked to do. So it's put the department in a bit of an unusual bind here. Um, I, it's, I'm not surprised that there's been problems staffing, especially with the political appointees, because I don't think a lot of credible and qualified individuals want to tie their name to this, not knowing what the president will ultimately do at the end of the day. About a minute here, but it seems as if it might be, because of all the publicity about the possibility of firing Rod Rosenstein, much like the publicity of firing Rex Tillerson and Jeff Sessions, that it might be that the president is less likely to fire him at this point. Do you agree I think, or I think not? I think that's a valid, a valid and more a very likely uh, position at this point. I don't think he really wants to deal with not only the ramifications of how it would damage him in the public relations, the PR, in the PR sense, but the idea of who would take that spot, who of any real credibility and qualification would be willing to step into that spot at that point, knowing everything that's going on and wanting to go through the grueling process of getting confirmed and then still know at the end of the day that your boss will possibly chastise you on Twitter and you can't respond. So I think he has to take that into consideration. I think the president's probably held back, not because he really wants to, because he's got no other choice. Thanks so much, as always, for being here. That's Brad Moss. He's a partner at Mark Say. The saga of the dueling memos continues. It's been 10 days since President Trump declassified and allowed the release of a Republican House intelligence memo that alleged bias and misconduct by the FBI and Justice Department in their surveillance of former Trump campaign associate Carter Page. House Democrats have been trying to have their own memo that counters Republican allegations released to the public. But on Friday, the White House formally notified them that President Trump was unable to declassify the Democratic memo because it contained 
quote, numerous properly classified and sensitive passages. During an interview with CBS's Face the Nation, Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, the ranking member of the House committee, said the FBI had already reviewed their document and criticized the president's refusal to release it. The hypocrisy of this just kind of reaches out and grabs you by the throat. Uh, Here, the Republicans write a memo which the FBI quite accurately describes as misleading and omitting material facts. The Department of Justice says it would be extraordinarily reckless uh, to release this. Uh, And what does the president do? He says, I'm going to release it. Before I even read it, 100% I'm going to release it. This is a president who puts his own personal interest above the national security interests of the country. My guest is Jimmy Garule, professor at Notre Dame Law School. Jimmy, Trump overrode Justice Department objections when he permitted the release of the Republican memo without redactions. Now, uh, in declining to declassify the Democratic memo, there was, along with the letter from the White House counsel, a letter signed by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director Ray, laying out the portions it considers too sensitive to make public. So what's your reaction to the different treatment of the two memos? Is there a basis for it? Well, they're certainly being treated differently. And uh, with respect to the, the Nunes memo, the both the FBI and DOJ, the Department of Justice, had concerns that the Nunes memo would would disclose classified information. And despite those objections and very strong objections by those two departments, the president disclosed the Nunes memo nonetheless. Now, with respect to the what I'll refer to as the Schiff memo, the president doesn't appear to be, or now appears to be, very concerned about about national security information and is refusing to disclose it based upon those grounds. And so there's a a little bit of hypocrisy here with respect to the the treatment of the Nunes memo and the treatment of of the Schiff memo. So, but the Democrats have said that they're willing to work with the FBI and the Justice Department. Is is that the way to go? They should work with them and, and have certain parts redacted? Well, well, certainly. I mean, if, if there are some legitimate concerns that the Schiff memo would disclose classified information, then it's certainly incumbent upon uh, Adam Schiff to meet with uh, both of those agencies to determine what the specific problems are and try to address those with respect to redaction or even, if necessary, deletion of certain portions. But it's important that the Democratic memo come out in in pursuit of of transparency and, and fairness. So now it's been 10 days since uh, President Trump declassified the Nunes memo. What has the impact been? Well, I think ultimately, I think there are many that would conclude that that it's been a flop. Uh, The president maintained after the Nunes memo was released that it, it totally vindicated him. With respect to both the Russia investigation and claims of obstruction of justice, and certainly it has not had had that effect at all. In fact, I would argue that the Nunes memo actually uh, supports the legitimacy of the Russia investigation and the credibility of the Russia investigation, because it establishes that Carter Page was on the radar screen of the FBI as early as 2013, well before the Trump campaign. And the FISA warrant wasn't issued with respect to uh, Carter Page until, uh, I think, October of 2016, after he had left the Trump campaign. So he had been on the radar screen uh 
by the FBI for a number of years with respect to concerns that he was uh, possibly a foreign agent of the Kremlin. Is it a problem, Jimmy, that most people are not reading the full memo or they would see that it's about Carter Page and doesn't mention uh, Trump, but most people are getting their news from other people's interpretations of it, so they're not looking at the, uh, the facts? No, that's a problem. There's no question about it, because, again, if, if you're just taking on face value claims that President Trump is making or, or claims that are being advanced, uh, arguments that are being advanced by, by, the, Repub- by the Republicans, you're, you're obviously going to get a very, very slanted view of, of the evidence. And so, again, this underscores the importance of the, uh, of the Schiff memo being disclosed, because I think it's clear that, that what's contained in that memo is going to serve as a strong counterpoint and counterargument to, to the Nunes memo. So the Schiff memo is 10 pages, so perhaps less people will even read that memo. But the argument has been made by, by some, even Democrats, that, that it would be better to just have dropped this, let it alone, whatever damage was done was done, and just move on and not make this an issue, a continuing issue. Right. Well, well, I think that there's certainly merit to that, because with respect to the Nunes memo, what it, one of the things that it revealed, of course, was the, the existence of this FISA warrant, this electronic surveillance national security warrant on Carter Page. And those are, to be, those are supposed to be kept secret because of concerns that they're going to tip off the target, and they may disclose sources and methods of collecting national security information. And so if there is this kind of continuing battle between the memos and, and FISA warrant information is disclosed, in the end, this is going to damage and, and undermine national security. That's going to be the that, that's going to be the injury, the ultimate damage with respect to this type of activity. So it's got to stop. But unfortunately, we're hearing from Representative Nunes that he has more memos that he's planning on disclosing in, in the near future. And so this battle of the memos can continue uh, for the next several months. Do you believe that the FBI has really taken a hit as far as the American people are concerned at, at the F- integrity of the FBI? Well, at least if you follow and if you believe certain polls that have come out recently, there are a substantial substantial percentage of Republicans that believe that the Investi- the Russia investigation, of course, which is being conducted by the FBI, is not being conducted in, in a fair and honest way. And so clearly this, this campaign to, to undermine the credibility and the integrity of the FBI is resonating, at least with uh, a substantial proportion, uh, portion percentage of Republicans. And again, that's very, that, that's a real tragedy here that, that this premier federal law enforcement agency is taking the kind of hit regarding its integrity that it has taken over the last several months. Well, thanks as always for being here, Jimmy. That's Professor Jimmy Gourlay of Notre Dame Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.